It's not quite dark outside. It's the hour between, when the shadows form a veil that is not quite lifted, and the sky still holds a purple hue. The shop sits in an old Victorian house, which appears to loom over you in the almost dark. You feel a strange chill on the inside, and pull your jacket a little closer. This is a new experience for you. Just a bit of fun on this Friday night in October. So why? When you enter the shop, and the wood floor creaks under your shoes, and the smell of incense and sage greets your senses, do you suddenly feel a little nervous? She greets you as an old friend, this woman, who has seen many years of secrets and has many stories in her heart. And you follow her into a small area behind a heavy curtain, and suddenly realize your friends aren't with you. Where did they go? Wasn't this their idea? Everything seems to go silent as you enter, except your heart is now pounding, and you're not sure why. The air feels heavier here, yet there's a sense of safety. And you sit in the chair across from her when she suggests you do with a mere motion, and she smiles at you, briefly. And with a wave of her arm so drastic that the candle next to you flickers, she's suddenly serious, intent, focused on you. You swear the room just became darker. Was there a shadow moving in that crystal orb on the table? You think the incense is messing with your senses now, so you shake your head. You breathe a little deeper. The woman unwraps a deck of cards from a white cloth and spreads them out over the table. Four cards, she says. They must speak to you. You choose. You don't want to overthink it. None of this is real, right? It's all just for fun. But when your fingers hover over the deck, you feel the urge to choose this one in particular, as though you were drawn to it. Say the word divination in a room full of people, and at least a few will have a similar scene in their mind. Wise old women, gypsy travelers with violins and a house on wheels, a crystal ball, a deck of cards. Ask a new generation, and they'll talk to you of dark corners and stilty cottages in the swamp, where the same wise women throw bones on a cloth and offer you odd-smelling teas. Whatever the reasoning for this, be it influence from films or books, your own personal experience that Friday night in October, that one year with that one group of people you once knew, we all see something different when we think of divination, and stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason. But what is divination exactly, and where did it begin? All of these stereotypes come from somewhere are based on something. And much of it may very well be true. But I'm also here to tell you, there's so much more. Greetings. You have wandered upon Broomstave Witchery, a podcast that explores all things pagan. My name is Sabrin Whitethorn, and I'll be your guide. So grab yourself some tea and come talk a spell with me.
divination is not a new concept. It's true that with the rise of neo-paganism, divination has become more accepted, more readily available with the mass marketing of tarot decks and rune kits. Walk into almost any bookstore in the world, and you'll probably find a how-to book on tarot reading and rune casting. And with the internet comes mass knowledge and mass opinion on the subject. And show me a pagan blog or podcast that doesn't eventually dive into the vast world of divination. But the truth is, divination has been around as long as humans have needed answers. And that, friends, has been since the very beginning. The word divination itself comes from the Italian word divinare, to foresee, to predict, and the Latin word divinus, to be inspired by the divine. You can look up the definition online or in a dictionary, and you'll see words like fortune-telling, prediction, and prophecy. Attempts to gain insight into questions or events by occult processes and rituals. A method used to organize random or disjointed pieces of information in order to provide answers to problems or unresolved situations. Now ask a pagan what divination is. You might hear some of these same terms, but you'll also typically gain a deeper understanding of how divination works, what it's used for, and why it works. And while tarot decks and rune sets are pretty standard tools found in the possession of most diviners, you'll also begin hearing about a wider variety of tools, such as pendulums and scrying bowls, mirrors, and orbs. Now dive a little deeper with that pagan. Go past cards and stones and talk to them of flowers and wax, insects, bones and birds, tea leaves, numbers, coins, eggs, sand, and paper. The fact is, the forms and tools of divination and their uses are almost limitless. Pagans understand that divination is more than predicting the future. In fact, in many cases, divination is more about melding our past and future to gain a higher understanding of our present. It's about understanding our own will, being guided, not just by communing with nature or the divine, but with our own intuition. Divination is about lifting the veil between our own conscious and subconscious. Attempts at lifting this veil can be traced back to our earliest civilizations, those of Mesopotamia and ancient Egypt between 4000 and 3000 BCE. In ancient Egypt, divination was used as a means to see the present more clearly and to make changes. Known forms of divination included mediumship, or the communication between the living and spirits of the dead, fire, water, dream interpretation, trance or mesmerism, oil scrying, and the use of oracles, a request to a deity to answer a question through a public statue that represented them. In Mesopotamia, divinatory techniques included astronomy, weather, situations that occurred around specific births or behaviors of people or animals, and the movement of earth and water. 
smoke, oil, and even the examination of internal organs were among these early divinatory practices, and magic was often used to counter or staunch any negativity or unwanted results that were foreseen. In ancient Greece, oracles and seers practiced divination. Oracles were seen as conduits for the gods on earth, and practiced divination through prophecies, which were considered to be the verbatim will of the gods. Seers interpreted signs provided by the gods, sometimes given through bird signs or sky watching, which were less complex and usually consisted of yes or no answers. These often required an animal sacrifice. The sacrifice itself was often considered the divinatory practice. With the Middle Ages and into the early modern period, we even see divination filtering into Christianity. For most pagans, the idea of Christianity adopting or incorporating pagan practices, rituals, and even holidays into their own is not a new or surprising concept. In the early days of the church, before laws were passed to outlaw divination and put those to death who predicted the future, divination was arguably a more accepted practice within Christianity. The divinatory method of casting lots is mentioned in the Bible and the book of Acts. In Deuteronomy, it is noted that various forms of sacrifice were used as instruments of divination to determine the guilt or innocence in law cases. In Numbers, there is a story of a wife accused of adultery who drank a mixture of water and dust from the floor of a tabernacle in order to determine her innocence or guilt. And how about a little mediumship? A witch is asked to summon the spirit of a deceased prophet in 1 Samuel. In Sweden, from the 17th until the early 19th century, there was a divinatory practice on Christmas and New Year's Eve referred to as the Year Walk, in which a person would fast and keep themselves away from light before completing a day of complex rituals and interpretation of symbols in order to foresee the events of the coming year. Practitioners of this Nordic magic tradition were seeking divinatory powers and healing that would be either bestowed upon them for a lifetime or that would need to be upkept in the years ahead. In Mesoamerica, the Aztec gods were described as being diviners, and there is a mention of the patron god of magic being referred to as smoking mirror, in reference to divinatory scrying. Aztecs used kernels of maize as oracular tools, and in pre-Columbian Mexico, water and mirror scrying and hallucinogenic plants were common forms of divination. Japan and China have long histories of divination, which include astrology, geomancy, numerology, feng shui, tarot, and even personality typing, in which attempts to look at an individual's destiny, future parenting techniques, and marriage compatibility have been prevalent since the 1980s. In Taiwan, po or moon boards are a common divinatory practice. Two wood or bamboo boards cut into crescent moons are held in a person's palms while kneeling, and raised to forehead level. The blocks are then dropped, and predictions made by the positions in which they land. Another form of divination consists of a small wooden chair in which a deity is invited to sit on. The chair, which has sockets that move to show when it has been descended upon by the deity, then crashes into a table prepared with wood chips, and the images left by the imprint of the chair are said to be the messages left by the deity. 
These are only a few examples of divination throughout history and in different parts of the world. There are so many examples, I couldn't possibly fit them all in one episode. I hope these few will give you a better understanding that looking into divination is like diving into the depths of the ocean. It's vast, it's full of life and mystery, and while it holds fun and beauty, it's also a serious force to be respected. Now that we've taken a tiny look at divination throughout history and in a few parts of the world, let's loop back and discuss why and how divination works. There are a few different answers for this, which I've already briefly touched upon, but let's dive a little deeper. Why divination works can be broken down into three main answers, the divine, intuition, and conscious versus subconscious. Divine divination. This is when one is seeking a response or sign from a deity, multiple deities, nature, or the universe to answer a question or shed light on a specific situation. The why is simple. We're receiving the information we request from a divine source that we place belief in. We're communicating through tools with a divine source. Intuitive divination. Intuition is the ability to understand something immediately with no need for conscious reasoning. Have you ever just known or had a feeling that something was right? An instinctual knowledge that you couldn't explain and didn't feel the need to explain as a feeling was enough for you. An example of this may be seeing a black crow land on your balcony and instinctually knowing without giving it any thought whatsoever that this bird comes as a warning. The why here is that you're guided by your own instinct to understand. Conscious versus subconscious. This is my personal favorite form of divination and is the most commonly used form when working with tarot, runes, and pendulums as a few examples. Sometimes divination isn't about seeing the future. Sometimes it's not about communicating with a divine source. Sometimes divination is about lifting that veil between the conscious and subconscious. A divination tool such as a pendulum, which is a weight hung by a fixed point that can swing freely from a chain or string, doesn't know things that we don't. It works as an extension of our subconscious mind. Our conscious mind filters thoughts with doubt, skepticism, preconception, and wishful thinking, which may cause the answers we seek to be self-biased. The pendulum or other divinational tool allows us to seek answers from our subconscious mind, which is more receptive to spiritual and universal knowledge. In short, this means that sometimes we're asking ourselves questions that we already know the answers to, but we're blocking or inhibiting ourselves by filtering our thoughts through our conscious mind. When I sat down and started making notes for this episode, my original thought was to briefly discuss what divination is, and then dive into some main forms, like tarot, runes, and pendulums, with a second episode to follow that included some lesser-known forms. What I ended up with was a list of hundreds of known forms of divination, many that I knew of, and many more that I didn't. 
all with their own rich histories and cultural associations. And while I briefly touched upon some history and some known divinational forms in various parts of the world, it seems unfair to flit over them so quickly. In the end, what I've decided is to take what would have been just a two-part episode and turn it into an entire segment within this podcast, as I already plan to do with a myriad of other topics along the way. By doing so, I can immerse myself in the history of each form of divination and go into detail with you about the various tools used in each form of divination, where to find those tools, how to use them, and how the process and rituals work. Don't worry, I won't do them all at once and saturate you with dozens of back-to-back episodes about divination. They'll be released periodically between other segments and other topics. I'll keep an ongoing list of the different forms of divination that we discuss, and I'll put this list online for our community to view. And Broomies, since the point of this podcast is to share, learn, and grow together, if there's a form of divination that you think I haven't heard of, that you find fascinating and want to learn more about, or perhaps even one you've created yourself and are willing to share with others, I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to comment on Instagram or Facebook, or send me an email to broomstavewitchery at gmail.com. Well, Broomies, you'll be happy to know that this is the last time you'll hear me say the word divination today, as I'm almost terrified to count how many times I use that word throughout this episode. As I mentioned in episode one, before we part ways, I'd like to give a small shout out to various pagan accounts on Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok that I find educational or entertaining, Etsy or online shops that are pagan-based, websites, books, products, and physical stores that are pagan written, crafted, owned, and operated. This week, I'd like to shine my pagan spotlight on Witch of Southern Light. This is the account of Marshall, a Texas folk witch who has accounts on both Instagram and TikTok and who co-hosts the podcast Southern Bramble. What I love about Marshall is his creative and often entertaining witchy tips that he mixes with serious demonstrations, book recommendations, and real talk. His willingness to openly share with others within the pagan community is a beautiful thing, and it's impossible not to get hooked on his content. I'd like to close today with just a tiny bit of sweep talk. In case you weren't aware, I have a contest running through the end of the year, so make sure you check out episode one for details. Until next week. Thank you for conjuring up some time to spend with me today. And until next time, Broomies, remember, don't drink and fly.